0: There's a lot that is coming up in our industry that is new, and being an all-new electric industry, I think it will be sustainable, but uh, very interesting, especially for all of our kids doing some uh, video games. They can come to us. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands.
1: Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm joined by the smart and fabulous Professor Christopher Sands of Woodrow Wilson. Hey, Chris.
2: Hi, Scotty. You're making my head grow. It won't fit in the podcast if you keep (laughs) saying nice things.
1: Well, Chris, we um, have a wonderful episode today. We're going to talk to a mutual friend of ours, Alain Gagnon. She's with a company called CAE, and you're going to introduce her, and she's going to introduce the company. But I'll tell you what, it's a hot summer day in Washington as we record this, and Alen travels the world quite a bit, but she's based in Montreal, and I bet it's a little cooler up there. So we're just going to have cooler heads prevailing on this hot day, and we'll jump right into it.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you, Scotty. And as long as you're in Washington, it is a cooler place, so I feel better already. Alain Gagnon is a Chief Sustainability Officer and Senior Vice President for Stakeholder Engagement at CAE, and she's a member of the Executive Management Committee at the company as well. She heads CAE's uh, Sustainability, Environment, and Social Impact uh, Strategy to make the world a safer place, which is a great goal. She's also accountable for CAE's global communications with employees, media, and other stakeholders, as well as for public affairs, government relations, as it pertains to R&D partnerships. She oversees relations with higher education institutions like think tanks and universities. Thank you very much for your support there. Around the world, she joined CAE in 2015 as Senior Vice President for Public Affairs, Global Communications, and corporate social responsibility. Now that alone is impressive, but she is a lawyer by background, a graduate of McGill University's Law School. She began her career in the form, uh, at the law firm of Faskin as a specialist in environmental law. So sustainability is second nature for her. Um, and she also holds a master's degree in public administration and public policy from the London School of Economics. Welcome, Helene Gagnon, great to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me on the podcast.
1: We're we're excited to have you, and we're good friends now. You're a vice chair of the CABC board. I know my board. I know that you also support Chrisanne's operation. But I have to tell our listeners. I think it took me 15 years of recruiting through two different companies before Alain Gagnon agreed to join our board. She's on some other uh, big corporate boards. But anyway, I'm so thrilled that you finally agreed. And if our listeners really want to see, get a little glimpse into Alain, look at the Canadian American Business Council's Instagram grid, because we have some great pictures from a recent board meeting that Alain hosted in Montreal at the flight simulator. So anyway... You know, Ellen, you and Chris and I know what CAE is, but I don't know if everybody knows what CAE is. So can you just sort of describe, like, first of all, what does CAE stand for, the, the actual letters? And then what's the company all about?
0: Mm. Well, it's not an acronym anymore. So it doesn't stand for anything uh, anymore. But at the very beginning, more than 75 years ago, it was Canadian Aviation Electronics. But today it's not an acronym. And we exist to make the world safer in civil aviation, defense and security and, and, and healthcare. And what we mean by that is that we actually prepare people in critical roles for those moments that matter. So people know us mostly for our flight simulators and our pilot training. In fact, everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world where you travel, the chances are very, very high that the pilots were trained either on a CAE flight simulator or at one of our training centers. We also provide the initial pilot license to cadets, to our pilot academies on a fleet of small uh, aircraft. Uh, we have one of those academies in, in Phoenix, uh, for example, but today, we're a lot more than that. We're now a high tech company and we provide operational support to airlines through digital solutions. So for example, we help our airlines manage their crew schedules on the ground, in the air. We help airlines manage their catering needs, make sure they don't have too much so that there's not. We help airlines optimize their flight plan so that they can optimize the fuel and reduce their carbon. So we're a lot more than a training company today. And in defense and security, we're there to help the Allied nations forces prepare for their mission. So it's all about readiness. So we help the training on live vehicles for air, naval land, space, and cyber, but also through simulation based uh, training, uh, of course, to maximize the readiness. And we have a small uh, healthcare business where we uh, support the training of uh, healthcare professionals on uh, through simulation based training as well. So that's what we do in a nutshell. We are headquartered in Canada. 13,000 employees, 250 sites in 40 countries, but most of our employees are in Canada and the US.
1: That's a heck of a nutshell, I have to say. And, <laughs> and I just want to I want to hone in on one thing you said, which is preparing for the moments that matter. And just yes. to underscore that for our listeners, Chris, I had the great opportunity to go to CAE's headquarters with with our board members from from the Canadian American Business Council and we We got into a flight simulator, which as Alain mentioned, most pilots flying today have been trained on one of CAE's products, whether it's at their own facility um, or whether they come to Montreal. And when you think about the moments that matter, what our flight instructor did as we were trying to take off and land was we said, what would it look like if it's foggy? And he flipped a switch and all of a sudden you, I mean, it felt like you were flying. We were having this experience and all of a sudden you couldn't see anything. And yet we were still able using instruments to land the plane. So you talk about a moment that matters. The moment where in real life, a pilot has zero visibility and she's got to land that plane, that is serious. And anyway, so
0: I think it's, I think it's, I just wanted to underscore that because I think that's pretty cool. And pilots are retrained every six months. That's why it's the safest mode of of transportation, because all those difficult scenarios are rehearsed by uh, pilots over and over again every six months.
1: Yeah. You don't want somebody to say, oh, shoot. You just want them to go to muscle memory.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Ellen, I wanted to ask you, I noted that CAE became the first Canadian aerospace company and one of the few companies around the world to be carbon neutral back in 2020, beginning of the pandemic. Why did you do that and, and, and how?
0: Well, I have to tell you the story there because it's very interesting. You'll remember that in the fall of 2019, there was a lot of demonstrations around the world where especially the younger generation was asking governments and businesses to do more for climate action. And it so happened that there was one in Montreal and that my son was in that demonstration, but also the kids of my CEO. And that night they asked their dad and they said, you're the CEO of a multinational corporation. You're doing good for the environment, but what else are you going to do you personally with your company for climate action? And so um, my CEO called me and he said, what could we do? I want us to be bold. I want us to inspire others. I want us to show that we're serious, to take action on climate change. And so we decided that we would uh, make the commitment to become carbon neutral within a year. Uh, so we made that um, commitment publicly. And then the pandemic hit just a few months after. You'll remember in March 2020, uh, where all our aircraft were um, stopped and the borders were closed and we lost a lot of revenues, most of our revenues in a matter of days. And so we uh, looked at our commitment and I'm sure that a lot of stakeholders would have accepted if we said we you know, pandemic, we're going to push this to the right. And no, we remain true to our commitment. We became carbon neutral in 2020, uh, within a year, uh, because we made that commitment for the right reason, because we said we want to show that we're serious about climate action. Because what it means is that you have to compensate for your residual carbon. So we are um, buying some carbon offsets for our direct emissions, mostly the fuel of our fleet of aircraft that I mentioned that we have in our pilot academies, and also compensating for the business air travel of our employees and we are buying renewable energy certificates for all of our sites that are not directly powered by renewable energy. So that's how we made it.
2: And, and do you feel the offset strategy? I, I never know. There's so many criticisms of climate summits. Everyone gets in a plane to go to a summit in you know, Norway or whatever. It feels like a bit of a cheap shot. But do you think that the offset strategy is a good one? Or is it just a kind of penance that you, you do so that people don't criticize you so much? I mean, how real is it?
0: Hmm. Well, first of all, I think I we need to um, distinguish between carbon offsets and renewable energy certificates because the offsets they uh, are investments and they compensate tons of carbon, and the renewable energy certificates they are um, uh, certified proof that you are powered by renewable energy sources and they come in megawatt per hour. So they're two different um, instruments, and the renewable energy certificates uh, are not really contested. The the carbon offsets. Some uh, are contested; they're not all of the same uh, value, um, so you gotta be careful. That is true, and there are some allegations of greenwashings of uh, companies that are just using carbon offsets and all of that. So, uh, as the others, we are monitoring that trend and, of course, making you know making sure that you know we're going to continue to make the right decision at the right time. But I, let me explain what this offset strategy has done for us. If we were not, nobody likes at CAE, the invoice that comes with the carbon offsets and the renewable energy certificates. Let's be honest. Right. Right. And what it's what it's done for us that it's been forcing us to reduce more and faster at the source. Because of that invoice, then it attracted a lot more attention edu- and education from all of the business leaders to understand the carbon. So, for example, we are now working on electrifying our own fleet of aircraft. If we didn't have offices to pay, would we be uh, investing in electrifying our fleet as fast right now? Maybe not. You know, Maybe our commitment could be to do that over 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. So it's allowing us to go faster. Same thing on the electricity side. We're having a conversation on energy efficiency at all of our sites around the world. Again, you know, would we be looking at energy and electricity all that much with all of our sites right now? Perhaps not. So I think it's all also what you do with your offset strategy, not just that you're buying offsets. So it's not that we're saying we're buying offsets and we're carbon neutral and we're good. No, we are leveraging the, our offset strategy to help us reduce um, our carbon at the source even faster. So I'm, I'm comfortable with our approach, but of course we're monitoring that trend and we wanna make sure that it, it remains uh, uh, serious because that's what we wanna do. We're serious about climate action.
1: So let's stick with this for a minute. You mentioned electric aircraft. You know, we've yeah. talked a lot on this podcast about electric vehicles, but we were talking about mm-hmm. cars and trucks and fleets. So mm-hmm. help us understand, I mean, what you really mean by electric aircraft. And okay. and, and then I've got a related question about uh,
0: sustainable aviation fuel, which I keep hearing, but I don't really know what it is. So, so electric aircraft means really that we're gonna replace the fuel on our small fleet of Piper aircraft with a battery. And we can do that right now. And of course, not done yet. And we're working on that conversion kit. But these aircraft are training aircraft for cadets. So they're aircraft that don't go anywhere. What I mean by that is that they go from point A to point A. They go, they come and they come back for 30 minutes in one hour. So they're very short flights. They're aircraft that carry from you know, mostly two people, so they're not long flights and they're not very heavy. So you can totally think of electrifying that level of aircraft. Thinking about electrifying uh, larger aircraft will take a longer term. There are in- intermediate technologies that will be used, like hydrogen and batteries, will be used for c- certain systems. But you're not going to electrify a very long haul flight for decades. You know, it's not even in in the cards right now with the the big OEMs, but for small aircraft, it's going to be a real aircraft uh, that is electrified. So we'll have charging stations and it's going to be powered only by a battery. So we're work, working on that now and you'll see them in Phoenix. And it's not only good to reduce the carbon and the fuel, but it's amazing to reduce the noise because these small aircraft and pilot academies are very noisy. So it's not good for the neighborhood. So electrifying the fleet will be very good for uh, communities as well.
1: Yeah, I think, the, I think people who live near those facilities are going to love that but for you so it's not possible at the moment not even contemplated for long haul fleets. so you you're using fuel and i've heard from bombardier and others about this notion of sustainable aviation fuel but i don't quite have my head around it can Mm. you
0: what what do we mean by that Mm. well uh, i and perhaps I could just say that, you know, aviation as a whole has made that commitment uh, as a whole industry has made the commitment to be a net zero by 2050. So that means the uh, aircraft OEM, the engine manufacturers, the airports, uh, the airlines, everybody, you know, involved in the industry has, has made that commitment. And there's many ways to achieve uh, that level of net zero. There's going to be new aircraft technologies, new engine technologies, uh, flight optimization, as I mentioned, where work on contributing, all of that. But uh, to achieve that, we will need those sustainable aviation fuels. So what it means is that these fuels that are not coming from, they're not fossil fuels, but they're the equivalent of jet fuel. They can be done from algae, they can be done from waste, biomass, and they are certified to be completely equivalent to the jet fuel. And they could be blended with the jet fuel to actually reduce the life cycle co2 life cycle carbon of, of that fuel so that's how the uh, saf the sustainable aviation fuel work and a lot a lot like millions and millions and millions of gallons will be required for the oil industry to actually achieve its net zero target so we have our contribution to made in that big goal but the airlines will require those sustainable aviation fuel
1: Yeah. Good old supply and demand. Well, uh, I'm learning a lot. We're in in classes in session here, Chris. So this is really fun. And let's take a little break. But when we come back, I would like to to talk to Elen about her experiences recently at the Paris Air Show, where everybody just got back from and, and how CAE's approach to that. So let's take a break and we'll be right back. What did Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King and President Woodrow Wilson have in common? Yes, they both led their countries during wartime, but they were also the only leaders of their countries to hold a PhD. At the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, we follow these academic civil servants to bring the public the best nonpartisan research and analysis. We're the only think tank in DC focused on this vital relationship. So, in addition to the great repartee you get to hear on Canusa Street, head over to wilsoncenter.org to check out the Canada Institute's work and events.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We're here on Canusa Street talking with Alain Gagnon of CAE, and I'm here with my fabulous host, Scotty Greenwood. And Scotty just brought up the Paris Air Show. Scotty, over to you.
1: Well, I want to hear all about any time you go to Paris, Alain. (laughs) So feel free to talk about that. But also, I think your company released an aviation talent forecast, and I wonder I wonder how you're feeling about the prospects for getting the people you need. every
0: Every company we talk to feel like there aren't enough people and 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 our industry, like the all the others, will require a lot of people. And what we released at the Paris Air Show is that actually one point three million civil aviation professionals will be needed over the next ten years. So that's uh, worldwide. There's new pilots, new technicians, new cabin crew. But if I focus maybe on pilots, we're thinking of close to 300,000 new pilots that will be required in the next uh, 10 years. So it's a challenge, but it's an opportunity for a company that uh, trains pilots. We need to work you know, very closely with airlines and we are doing uh, a lot of uh, cadet programs with the US airlines, for example, uh, to grow the, the, the talent pool. But I think one fact of all the pilots in the world, only 5% of pilots are women. So one way to actually increase the number of, of pilots is to, is to tap into the full talent pool and to encourage more women to actually consider the career of, of pilots. So we are working on that, again, directly and indirectly with, uh, with airlines, with sponsorships, scholarships, and creating role models so that younger uh, women actually see that they can belong and that they can become pilots. And So it's not for, too late? I can no, go get my pilot license. Yeah. A not it. too late. It's not too late and and we're seeing that our programs are actually making having an impact because already since we created those women in flight scholarships we're seeing an increase of the number of women applying in our various pilot academies. So we have to be hopeful, but there's a lot of people that will be required for all those listeners. If you have people in your surroundings that would be interested in aviation, just encourage them But there's going to be a lot of jobs in our industry.
2: That's well, fantastic. but and talking about more underrepresented groups, I read someplace, Ellen, that CAE had created an employee resource source group for indigenous people. Can you speak to the importance of of making groups uh, like that, minority groups uh, feel that they can be part of aviation and aviation's future in a high tech company like yours?
0: Yeah, well, you know, in in Canada, there was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and there was a call on businesses in Canada to take action and to make sure that businesses become good business partners for Indigenous people that we include them in our growth. So definitely we are looking at how we can work more closely with the Indigenous communities to create, again, tapping into the full talent pool, encouraging them to consider the, the career of pilots. Recently, we supported the First Nations Technical Institute in, in Ontario, the only Indigenous flight school of its kind in Canada. So they had a big fire and it, and it, it it's destroyed their hangar and their aircraft. So we're helping them uh, rebuild that uh, with other uh, companies as well. So we have to be very humble with the Indigenous communities uh, as as uh, companies, we have a lot to learn. Uh, and so we are on that learning uh, journey ourselves. Uh, we are uh, creating an advisory board with the Indigenous leaders to help us also understand. So not only uh, is our Indigenous employee resource group helping us uh, understand how we should approach Indigenous communities, but we're going to ask leaders also to give us advice as an executive management uh, team to know what is it that we should do, how we should approach that. And that's the, the idea with underrepresented group is, is to learn and, and ask those groups, you know, what is it that they want and how we could better support them so that we're on that journey. We're going to, go through also the certification of PAR, the Progressive uh, Aboriginal uh, Certification. We're at the committed level. There's a lot for us to to learn. I don't think we're the only one, but more and more uh, in Canada, uh, for the big, especially the big defense contract, there's going to be a requirement um, to have uh, Indigenous participation. So we have um, to make sure that uh, we create those long-term relationships with Indigenous communities.
1: Well, that's a, that's a perfect jumping-off point. Sorry, Chris. Talking about defense contracts, Alain, because I, I have to imagine that there are real differences as a, for working with the Pentagon and the U.S. forces versus working with the Canadian military and defense establishment. And, and you, your company, operates on both sides pretty effectively. So can you, just because we're a Canada-U.S. kind of nerd group here can you talk to us a little bit about kind of maybe the similarities and differences particularly in the defense as a defense
0: contractor Mm. so for for sure as a canadian headquartered company uh, we serve the us military and 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 all aspects of the us military and for that and especially to have access to top secret work we have to operate under a special security agreement we have to have a separate uh, ca usa board and we have to be uh, very careful of what uh, can be shared with some canadian nationals so it, it it is a bit different to operate in the us and to serve the largest defense market in the world. World. But internationally, the fact that we are both Canadian and American is actually very unique. And we can play the card of being Canadian or American with various countries in terms of export for defense. Some countries prefer to buy from Canada, some of that defense technologies, other prefer to buy from the US. And we can offer both because we're so because we're nor, you know, North American with different ways to operate on the on both sides. Of the of the border in, in defense.
2: I, can I bring that back to just bring the conversation back to where we started? How does defense, the defense side of your business, feed into sustainability? Or or when you're fighting a war, do you just say, forget the environment, we're just gonna win? Or, or can you bring the two together?
0: Well, you can actually uh, have a, a big impact and I'll give you just uh, an image. One minute of uh, training in the live Eurofighter is the equivalent of one full day in a full flight simulator in terms of carbon footprint. So one minute versus one wow. full day. Okay. So wow. when we convince uh, some allied defense forces to increase the percentage of simulation-based training that they do, that they do to increase their readiness, they also impact and they also reduce their carbon footprint very significantly. And for different governments, this is uh, becoming a factor that they are considering because. Simulation based training could be extremely realistic. You don't have to do everything in the live aircraft. And of course, uh, as you can imagine, when you prepare for a, a mission, uh, it could be very dangerous to actually do those maneuvers in the live vehicles. Um, and if you prepare through simulation based training, then you could be better uh, prepared and reduce your carbon footprint. So, absolutely, our defense business can be a contributor, and we're very proud to be part of the solution on that front as well in terms of sustainability.
1: I I love that, and we're coming to the end here, but I I have to say, I think that this is a perfect example of those of us who are parents, and we were really worried about our kids doing all those video games, and now kids with video game skills are probably better equipped to do training at CAE. than than a lot of others so i i think i th- i think there's some hope even for the even for the you know kids kids that just game all day what do you what do you think Ellen?
0: yeah yeah absolutely you know when you think of uh assimilation this is like a like a gaming, but for security and safety purposes, you know. So that's what we like to we like to attract those software engineers and to say, if you want to come for a noble purpose to make the world safer, come, come to us. And and one other thing, perhaps that I would like to mention, if if I may, is that there's a whole new industry that is being uh, developed uh, right now that we didn't have a chance to to talk about, but it's going to be all electric, and that's the EV toll industry, the electric vertical and takeoff or also sometimes called advanced air mobility. So these will be uh, new vehicles. There's about 600 manufacturers of them working on different kinds of electric vehicles right now in the world. They're all talking to us. And some of them are American, very known, like Joby, Beta, Jaunt. Uh, we're doing a lot of R&D uh, in Canada about that. We'll be an enabler because they all need pilots. They will be trained very differently, those those vehicles. It's not going to be a full flight simulator. It's like, uh, like we know Otherwise, it's going to be too expensive. So we'll need to use mixed reality and, and a virtual reality with uh, some goggles. Uh, so when you're talking about the video games, uh, Scotty, you know, perhaps it's going to be interesting to be trained for, for these pilots on that. There's going to be a lot of social acceptance work that will need to be done for those vehicles to fly in our cities and in our communities. And so we, we can help through simulation-based training and simulations actually show where those vehicles will fly to make sure that everything is safe. So there's a lot that is coming up in our industry that is new and being an all new electric industry, I think it will be sustainable, but very interesting, especially for all of our kids doing some video games. They can come to us. We'll welcome them for sure.
1: Video games and drones. And honestly, I think for people of a certain age, this is where we cue the Jetsons music and our editors will never let me put. The, we don't have the rights to it. Maybe we'll see if we can buy the rights To the Jetsons because I think that'd be a good good theme music. And then for the kids that don't know what I'm talking about, Google it because it's an iconic futuristic cartoon from when Chris and I were little. But it feels like with what Elaine's company is doing, it's the future is happening. So anyway, really exciting, Elaine. Thank you so much for spending time with us. It was it's great to learn even. I thought I knew something about CAE. By the way, I think it now stands for Canadian American Excellence. Yes! (laughs) I love it.
2: perfect thank well, you this, so much you're very welcome and we are welcome anytime you want to come back here to Canusa street we really enjoyed having you
1: next next time you'll fly your e-toll and land right in the middle and and uh, everybody can everybody can gawk how about that <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: thanks elaine chris i love that conversation i love all of our conversations but you know li- talking about these etols, it's sort of like a drone, you know, but all electric and with passengers. And just last night, I went to Walmart's D.C. office grand reopening, and they had a whole display of their drone technology. The Walmart is delivering packages to people's homes already. And I think companies like CAU that'll be training the pilots of the future uh, whether it's drones, whether it's these eTOLs, whether it's regular old military flights or commercial. Anyway, they, it's a company that a lot of people have never heard of, uh, but everybody benefits from in, in some way or another if you if you ever take a plane. So I think it's pretty cool to talk to a
2: I thought it was great as well, and, and maybe this is a bit uh, meta, but when I listened to her talk, yes, technology was was exciting. There were a lot of amazing things that the company's doing, but it underscored something very consistent about Canada-US, which is that we share values. In, in this case, sustainability, the desire not just to achieve amazing things, but to do it in the right way. Whether you're fighting a war, but limiting the carbon footprint on training, or whether you're trying to... Uh, Help the aviation industry to not just offset carbon, but actually begin to make a difference. So I, I was really impressed, and I think you know it just shows why Canada-US trade tends to be so robust. It's that we share values, we're trying to do some of the same things, and we have innovative people on both sides who make that possible.
1: Absolutely, and as usual, we're better together. So it's 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 good to see companies like CAE operating in the US, American companies operating in Canada. That's that's where it's at. So um, we just got to keep at. that border open. Keep the air <laughs> border open, keep the land border open, the sea border, so we can keep doing business.
2: Yep. Both sides of the street here in Canusa Street have to keep them open. And I think we're, we're doing pretty well. So I'm, I'm leaving this episode optimistic. The sky's the limit.
1: Sky's the limit. All right. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Great to see you, my friend.
2: Great to see you too. Thanks, Scotty.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Centre. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.